This episode of Upstream in Perspective is brought to you by IHS Market's Upstream Insight team. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust datasets and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com forward slash energy. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm your host for Upstreaming Perspective, Kiran Sangera. On today's episode, I'm joined by Nick Sharma and Kung Feng Zhu from our Upstream Research and Consulting Team for the APAC region. They'll be providing insight on shale and Thai gas in China. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Kieran. So let's start with unconventional oil and gas development. We know that unconventional oil and gas development revolutionized North America's upstream sector, with US Thai oil production growing fast enough by 2015 to influence the decisions of OPEC. China is often flagged as one of the countries with most unconventional opportunity with large resource potentials. How would you describe the status of unconventional oil and gas development in China today? Are we in the very earliest stages of experimentation or is more happening than many realize? Thanks for the question, Kira. Um, I believe the best way to set the context of progress is via numbers. So I'd like to list a few numbers. China's shale gas production in 2018, last year, was um, 10.2 BCM. BCM uh, is a billion cubic meter, mainly from Sichuan Basin. So the production has increased from a baseline of 0.2 BCM in 2013, but will uh, con- be considerably smaller than the 60 to 100 BCM number set in the 12th five-year plan set in uh, 2011. So our expectation is that um, both Sinopec and CNPC, who will drill hundreds of shale gas wells, will achieve a number. Uh, we don't believe they can achieve 20 BCMs by 2020, but will be a number that is close to that number. So overall, I think it's fair to say that on the shale front, the key companies in CNPC and Sinopec have uh, moved past the, day, uh, the experimentation stage and now need to move to a more refined and well-driven execution plan. And on the tight gas front, we have seen quite a few successful tight gas projects partner with IOCs, such as Total or Shell. And the government has been talking about subsidies for tight gas for a while to boost tight gas production. But the challenge lies in the categorization of tight gas. There's no clear definition for tight gas until last week. So we have seen the Ministry of Finance released a policy on unconventional gas subsidies, and tight gas is finally included for the subsidy. And along the along with the policy, a standalone definition of a tight gas and tight gas field has been provided. And one more information is that uh, CMPC has set a target to produce 32 BCM in 2020 and 35 BCM tight gas in 2025. So we can expect more investment in tight gas in the coming years. Thanks for that, Kung Feng. Um, so unconventional development in the US has taken place in the wide open spaces of North Dakota, where population density is low, to much more dense population areas like Fort Worth in Texas. 
At its peak, operators were drilling the Barnet Shale in the cul-de-sacs of suburban neighbourhoods around Fort Worth or between runways at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. Is population density a challenge to China unconventional development or what other unique challenges that China faces? Yeah, so I'll pick this one up, um, Karen, it's Nick here. Um, so yes, I think you picked on one of the big ones. Uh, population density is a, a challenge for shale gas development. Um, and there are a number of unique challenges that that US don't have, that being one of them. The, the, the key basin, uh, Sichuan, is, is hilly, it's highly populated and therefore um, you know, you've got a big issue around road construction, materials and transportation, and also managing the local communities. And this issue then is not only constrained to the Chinese embassies, but also the IOCs like Shell. So uh, that's one aspect of uh, the, the, the management of the operations. The other one is land acquisition. Um, you know, US is very unique in its model because operators and the landowner can r reach a financial uh, agreement on 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 leasing their land. Uh, while in China or any other really jurisdiction in the world, primarily it's owned by the government, and the local government in this case in China sets a compensation standard for the villages. So that makes the land acquisition process longer. It creates conflicts between the villages. Who believe they're not fairly compensated and these are just two of the issues um there's other issues such as the the depth of the shale in china is a lot uh, deeper which means more time and more cost uh, water access issues so um i think the conclusion here is the the nocs realized relatively early that the know-hows or experiences from us cannot be replicated in china and they really need a tailor-made solution for china thanks for that nick both US and China are the biggest consumers of oil and gas. Shale revolution has made US, the US less dependent on imported oil and gas, while China's dependency keeps increasing. Shale gas seems an opportunity for China to copy the success. Has the government done anything to make it happen? Kieran, uh, let me answer this one. So energy security issue has been hot recent days. A lot of people are discussing about it. The uh, national energy security uh, is always and will always be an issue for China. So from the outlook of both oil and gas demand, we can see that both oil and gas are increasing, while domestic production cannot catch up with the pace. That leads to an uh, increasing dependency on importing oil and gas. The success of US in energy service efficiency is really driving a rethink in China, and in particular on what steps they can take to improve the regulatory policies to catalyze the unconventional resource development. And at the early stage, subsidy was the primary tool used. And as I just talked about, we have new policy on, on tight gas, on unconventional gas subsidy last week. So at the beginning, that includes only cobalt, methane, and shale gas. So the lower than expected shale gas production has led to the government to initiate further reform in EMP sector. And the EMP sector policy reform really kicked off in 2017, and it's been accelerated recently. The most important objective of the reform is to diversify the participants in EMP, which is crucial for unconventional resource development. To check more IOCs and independence, the government is also trying to simplify the approving process, adapting policies that are more suitable for unconventional resource development, such as uh, cancelling the approval requirements for ODP 
ODP is uh, the overall development program, and replacing it with registration. So those are the reforms to adjust the complaints from IOCs in unconventional gas projects. We expect EMP sector reform will be further accelerated as the energy security concerns continue to accelerate after the trade disputes with US. All the NOCs are shifting their focus back to China, while the government will further enable unconventional production growth by improving EMP policies. Thanks for that, Kumfeng. So Nick, I wanted to direct the next question to you. Um, US shale revolution was kicked off by small companies. There are a large number of players contributing to advancements of shale, gas and oil in the US. Who are the main players leading China's unconventional activity? Are there IOCs or US independents contributing to it? Well, so at present, um, you know, Sinopec and CNPC really, they, they dominate the, the landscape of production <clears throat> of that 10.2 BCM number a year for 2018. And the early stages, even as early as 2008, we had a lot of large IOCs and independents uh, set up joint study agreements but then no PSCs reach FID. So we really are back to kind of the square one situation of the Chinese oil companies uh, dominating the domestic uh, shale gas. But that's not a true reflection of China ENP. You know, in the offshore side, there's a big uh, set of companies. And even on the tight gas, um, you know, Shell and CNPC uh, signed, um, you know, the, 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 the project in 1999 uh, on the Changbai tight gas project and there's a FID for phase two approved last year and then Total has the Sulej South gas project uh, with CNPC also. So, you know, Shell and Total have showed that uh, joint ventures with key technology angles can be very successful. Um, one of the issues is that while there was big effort in 2011 and 2012 to bring a new set of players uh, and we did get 21 block awards, uh, over those two years, they were really awarded to SOEs, um, private companies, utility companies that really didn't bring much oil and gas experience to the table and therefore the, the corresponding results weren't successful. So um, there is a clear intention, I think, as we speak about energy security and increasing the, the, the production, that the government wants more competition, uh, but this will require more attractive acreage uh, being available, um, more better partnerships with the national companies, and, and that would then set the basis for uh, production growth. Thanks. The more complex above ground challenges and subsurface situations have made the well cost in China higher than the US. Have the welling economies improved recently from know-hows gained in joint ventures technical improvements and advancements in the learning curve. Yes, uh, Kiran, it's uh, well known that the drilling unconventional gas in China is more expensive than US. So the factors of above ground challenges, like more complex subsurface, have made the world economics uh, very challenging in Sichuan, especially in the early stages of the learning curve. So the world economics was the major reason for most of the IOCs and, and independents not progressing the joint studies or PSCs in the in the past in in last years. So, but from our studies, uh, the economics of tight gas projects are much better. It is less challenging to drill in order spacing or tearing basin, and that's why we have seen uh, a few successful tight gas projects with IOCs. 
but the work cost, uh, work cost across the board have reduced significantly in recent years. Partly that is due to the cyclical cost reduction. And when we talk about cyclical cost, is the service company lower the cost in low, low oil price environment, and partly due to the technology advancements. Sichuan's unique challenges, as highlighted previously, makes the ability to draw and re replicate the U.S. experience uh, very unlikely. The uh, technology advancement is a result of combined efforts. It's not only from one single source. It includes like learnings from the partnerships in unconventionals or either partnership in China or from the U.S. And learnings from the leading oil field service companies like Stromberger or improvements from drilling the hundreds of wells. A more streamlined and experienced supply chain and oil field service capacity is, uh, also contributes to that. So those efforts successfully lower the well cost significantly to make shale gas more commercially viable nowadays. Thanks, Kumfeng. Um, so the next question I wanted to direct it to the both of you. Um, looking forward to uh, about five or 10 years, what will we be saying about Chinese unconventionals Based on what we know now, do you, do we see China becoming as big or bigger as a contributor to global supply from unconventionals than the United States? And my final question is, are you more optimistic on the country's tight oil or shale gas potential or equally optimistic on the potential of both? Well, uh, let me take it first. Uh, from my judgment, so judging from the current investment plans of Sinopec and CNPC, their shift of focus to domestic production for energy security concerns, and the strong push of the government by accelerating EMP sector reforms. We do expect shale gas and tide gas to grow at faster pace than it is now. And in the short term, the 30 BCM national shale gas target is unlikely to be achieved, but that will be achieved a few years later. Overall, we, we are more optimistic on tide gas. It has plenty of resources in orders and terrain basin um, and less above ground challenges in a flat and less populated area and less complex subsurface. Yeah, and I think from my point, uh, the key message here is that there is an overall trajectory and that is clearly on the right track. Uh, expecting a US star revolution in terms of those production numbers is, is going to take time um, and it's not something in, a, in the five or ten year outlook. I think for me the key message here is um, the NOC partnerships for capital and technology um, uh, that we've seen in the tight gas can that be replicated on the shelf front and I think the important signal to watch is the government's intention to really drive this policy change. We saw the subsidy, we've seen the definition of tight gas. So clearly these are things we were talking about a couple of weeks ago in our internal research and now they're happening in reality. So those are the signals that I think companies will be want to be looking at more closely. Perfect, thanks. And my final question, which might throw you off slightly, um, if you could meet anyone in the world at any time period, who would it be and why? Um, I'll pass this one over to Nick first. Wow, okay, that's put me on the spot. Um, well, I'm a fan of cricket and we are in the World Cup season right now, so um, it's only fair that I think about a name in that world. And, and I'd probably be Don Bradman um, from Australia. He was a, a cricketer of his times and, and his, his numbers are double of any peer in, in, in the history of time. So 
it'd be interesting to really see how good he really was. Um, so that's 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 my my person. Well, for me, actually, sorry, Nick. Actually, I, I've never heard the name you mentioned. <laughs> Cricket is not it's not popular in China. For me, I guess uh, my answer would be like Leonardo da Vinci, and simply because I just read a book, a biography by for him. He seems a, seems to be a very interesting people that I would like to to talk with and to to learn from him. That's my answer. Perfect. Thanks. Those are both really interesting answers, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining me on the podcast today, and we hope to have you back soon. Thank you for having us. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from Nick Kumfeng or any of our experts. Visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com forward slash energy blog. Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com slash energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.